welcome to King's Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about King's Church, visit kcnyc.org. I'm going to, so I've, I've left this sermon series that I was doing for the past many weeks. Um, long, I think if we did it for like 15, 12, 12 or 15 weeks, Good Kills, which is now officially over. The end, starting a new series. If you missed it, please listen. I offend many people from many different categories of life, ages, different ethnic backgrounds. We offend, <laughs> equal opportunity offense here at King's Church. Uh, um, and so please listen to it. Um, but we're starting something else, and I'll, I'll jump into that in a moment. But can we pray first before we get into the word? Lord, we thank you so much that you love us and um, that you called us and that you chose us. And before the foundation of the earth, you had this plan already in your heart. And uh, as a part of that plan were these sons and daughters that you would pluck like brands from the fire, that you would call out of darkness into your marvelous light. And God, I ask, Father, that you would... Uh, take this word and let it be good seed that's sown into their heart that they would be uh, just overloaded with the fruit of your kingdom that the fruit of righteousness and peace and joy and patience and goodness kindness gentleness self-control God would be laden on their branches that everywhere they go God they wouldn't be bearing fruit of frustration or pain or insecurity or, or fear but because that the word of God is sown in their heart they don't have to do the work they just have to receive the word and the word has the power to change our lives because it's living and it's active it's alive tonight and god let it change our hearts in jesus name and everybody said amen amen, amen. cool all right gang so this is um this is sunday night maxims welcome maxims what's a maxim a maxim is like an aphorism it's like a wise saying it's some it's some phrase that is helpful and I'm going to go through about seven to ten different maxims over the next seven to ten weeks that really affect, really deeply impacted my life or, or actually changed my life. Um, and there are, there's a lot that goes into that. Sometimes there's time. Sometimes you're in an emotional state where you hear a certain word. But sometimes it's just the way God made you that there are certain keys to unlock certain struggles that we as believers often find ourselves in kind of the rat race of struggling with. And so this, this evening's struggle, struggle, <laughs> this evening's maxim is called, you should have asked for discipline. And I'm going to read out of Matthew 13 and, and then tell you a story. Here's, here, here goes Matthew 13, 3. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. And some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. Those, that seed sprang up really quickly, but because the soil was shallow, when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered away as they had no root. And other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, and still other seed fell on, the, on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, uh, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. And then Jesus said, whoever has ears, let him hear. I was 25-ish, 25, 25-ish years old, and I was a youth pastor, and um, I was very, very intense. <laughs> I was very, I was like, we will not be having any fun. If you come to my youth group, just plan on no fun. If you say something funny, you're out. I'm the only person that says something funny. None of you are allowed to. 
There was this other guy that was telling me these stories of shooting spam out of a spam launcher. And I was just like, you filthy heathen. You're taking all of your students to hell with your spam launcher. Get them to read the Bible and pray. Like, I was super intense. I was super intense because I had been on staff at a very large church uh, in Portland, Oregon, um, many thousands of people, and I was on, in the youth staff, and we were, we, um, part of, the, part of our, my job on staff was to do discipleship with young people, and I just found that the game aspect, which is fun, we need to have games and fun in our life, I just, at, at that season of time, I was like, this is totally useless. Like, these kids are coming to play games, and they do not care about God. We don't tell them about God. We certainly don't tell them that they're sinning. We just tell them that, like, have fun. Jesus is fun. Can we correlate Jesus and fun together by having Jesus and fun in the same room? And I'm like, this is not working. So I was a little bit reactionary in my methods, reacting from the kind of ridiculous circus of church that I was used to in in megachurch. and so we were fasting and praying, seeking God, and we saw this really incredible outpouring of the miraculous of people getting saved, of really, really intense, fiery young Christians, high school students that were giving their whole lives to Jesus. Um, and I was the kind of guy that would like turn, it, turn the dial that goes to 10, I would turn the dial to 15. And I would go a thousand miles an hour into fasting and prayer, super intense, watching messages and reading a thousand commentaries and doing all this kind of stuff and then I would kind of crash I would have a crash and burn moment and then it would take me many months to get back my juices flowing together to go in this incredible sprint after God and I was on this trip and I was at a youth conference and it was like a half spam it was a half spam youth conference there was some spam being shot but not a whole lot so I was okay with it and we had probably, uh, there's probably a th- couple of thousand um, people at it. Gabe, you were probably there at that conference with me. I think we've actually talked about this, and I think you were a student at Portland Bible College, and the conference was at Portland Bible College in around 2005, which is around when you were there, right? Jen Unleashed, that's what is the name of the conference, is Jen Unleashed, yeah. So I would take, we had taken a bunch of students there, and I was driving back, and I was really frustrated at a number of things. One of the things is I was as frustrated at the state of the other youth leaders, like just the massive insecurity. Um, there wasn't like this co- core cohesion, we're all loving Jesus and chasing after God and we wanna see the world change. There was like this, there was massive insecurity, like everyone's staring at the brand of your jeans when you walked into the room. Have you ever been in a room like that? Isn't that a fun room to walk into? That's so fun, that's so fun. Um, and how big is your youth group? And like the guys with the really small group, they were like pathetic, wart-faced kids. And then, then the other youth pastors with bigger, they were like cooler, they had gel in their hair. Like there was this whole hierarchy of youth pastors and I hated it, hated, hated, hated it deeply. Um, because it's not the kingdom of God, it's totally another kingdom that entered into the kingdom of God and we were using all these methods to try to get people in our pews And it was actually, back then in the early 2000s, it was the beginning of the attractional church models really taking over mainstream evangelicalism, and I was seeing it back then and deeply hating it back then. But anyway, I'm driving back. I'm kind of frustrated. I don't know why... I don't know why God hasn't really used me more in life. Have you ever been like that? You're like, God, I'm I'm here. What's going on? I want to be used some more here. What are you doing? What are you doing in heaven? Like, I've 
I'm, I'm single, ready to mingle. I wasn't single. I think we were married. <laughs> I'm, ready to, I'm ready to get on. Give me some powers. Let's go out, get people saved. Let's do it. Revival in America. And um, the, beauty of, the, the, the beautiful thing about the Lord is he doesn't give you what will destroy you. Isn't that good? Isn't that so kind of the Lord not to give you what will destroy you and make you think you're better than everyone else, right? And then fall into the trap of Satan. It's exactly what it says in 1 Timothy. It's like, if you get exalted when you're young, you will fall into the trap of Satan himself and feel like you're equal with God. You're on the same level. You won't take it with humility and grace and wisdom. So I fall asleep in the back of this car in the midst of this frustration, and I wake up in the dream, and I'm sitting at a bench, and on the other side of the bench, God is sitting, and I'm sitting on this side of the bench. This is my first dream ever where God shows up in the dream. I had never had a God shows up in the dream. You can ask me, what does he look like? I don't know. It was God, old mannish, white beard. Come on. You know what God looks like. We all know what God looks like. <laughs> uh, there's a table uh, between us, and... Um, God was shaking something in his hand, and I didn't know what he was shaking in his hand, and he said, um, what do you want? I'll give you anything you want, and I'm like, this is my moment. This is my Solomon moment. This is when I, you know, choose the ring of power and turn into Sauron and take over Middle Earth. This is it, <laughs> and I, I Creatives oftentimes want to reject form, right? They, we want to reject the, the previous forms and we want to do something new and unique. Whether or not it's right or not, oftentimes we get tired of old forms. And I remember thinking to myself, well, Solomon asked for wisdom, so whatever you do, don't be a copycat. Like, come on, be creative. Think of something unique here. Don't just say wisdom, which would have probably been a good thing to ask for. But I saw, this is what I thought, and I, I said, Lord, what I want from you is I want to love you and be loved by you, and I want to know you and be known by you. And the Lord, he had, he had thrown what was in his hand was all of this change in his hand, and he threw it on the, the table, and then I answered, I want to love you and be, uh, and be loved by you, and I want to know you and be known by you. And then the Lord, with one hand, he scooped up all the change from the table and he said, you have no idea what to ask for. And bang, I woke up out of the dream. And I was like, well, <laughs> I thought that was a really good answer. I thought that was like a prayer of Jabo's best tiny book kind of answer, you know? I went and met with the Lord and I had a prayer of Jabo's tiny book answer. It's gonna be in all the Christian bookstores. Love you and be loved by you. <laughs> And the Lord said, you don't have any idea what to ask for. I think most of us as believers do not have any idea what we're supposed to ask for of the Lord. And I think we're living in a, a life of pursuit of our own stuff and desires and even motivated from loving God. But we ultimately don't know what it is. That is the key that will get us to the place that God has called us to be. And so this dream, as you may imagine, bothered me for a few months, and I was telling my pastor, uh, Bob Grimm, I'm like, I told him about the dream, and he's like, uh, and? I'm like, that's it. He's like, I, I, what's the point of the dream? I'm, I don't know. And so I was praying in my office about three months later, and I, I don't know, I was praying for my youth group or my wife or my, maybe Leon was soon to be born, and I felt like the Lord spoke to me and said, hey, David, do you know what you were supposed to ask for? And I was like, clearly not. 
clearly I'm an idiot. I learned that lesson. I learned the idiot lesson. I didn't know what to ask for. And I felt like the, the, the Holy Spirit said to me, you were supposed to ask for discipline. You should have asked for discipline. It was, it was, it was out of the blue sky. It was an answer that I would have never guessed had you given me a thousand guesses to guess I would have never said to the Lord at any point, I would have been like money, fame, you know, a hairline that never recedes. There are many things above discipline that I would have asked the Lord for. And the Lord said to me, you should have asked for discipline. I want to read a scripture in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27. It says this, it says, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Let me read it one more time. Because we have a culture where pastors are being disqualified because they don't understand that discipline is the key. I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. I heard a stat years ago, and I don't know where it came from. I assume some kind of Barna derivative. And the stat was, most sexual impropriety happens inside of faith communities after a mountaintop charismatic experience. I'm, I'm talking about the charismatic church. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. That there are people that are People, there are people that want experience with an experiential God, and that's us. We, we believe that God is experiential, and he wants to, he wants to interact with us. But if the, the weakness lies in this spectrum, that if you are experientially driven, you may in fact be a slave to your own passions and desires. And can I tell you something, friends? that our culture preys on people that are slaves to their own passions and desires. Every single advertisement that I see in my daily walk is an advertisement that is preying on my basic passions and basic desires. And Paul says, if I'm a believer, especially a young believer, and I don't learn how to control my basic passions and desires, it doesn't matter how high God will take me. If I'm ultimately disqualified, it embarrasses and shames my life and the kingdom of heaven. And the work that I build for God will be destroyed. You know, I was asking God, really what I was asking God, because I'm sneaky, what I was asking God in my mind was, God, if I can be really close to you, I know you'll exalt me and I'll get the stuff, all of the stuff I want. I'll get the book deals and the, I'll get the camera time and I'll get all that kind of stuff. I'm a sneaky guy. You got to watch out for me. I, you, you can't, you just want to watch out. But God was saying, it doesn't matter where I take you if you don't have this basic issue of discipline figured out and locked down, you will be disqualified after reaching where I've called you to reach. I'm writing a lot right now, and I wrote a book years ago, it's called Good Kills, I just preached it to you for 12 weeks, and I have an editor. And the editor is the enemy of the writer. <laughs> we are in mortal combat, and she 
says things like, God, God willing, she's not listening right now, Ashley. God willing, she doesn't listen to this message. She says things, and I'm like, this, what is she talking about? This is genius. This is prose. This is beautiful. And she wants to take all of my magic sauce and edit it and make it like an editor wants to make it. Boring, which is boring, which is understandable to other people. <laughs> Actually, is what it is. But for me, it's boring. And there's this battle between the writer and the muse, and the muse is this idea where this kind of moment of inspiration overcomes you. You're, you have this kind of... You, you have this emotional wave and then you go and produce, right? You write a poem, you write the song, you crank out, whatever. I remember one day I wrote, I wrote 11 songs in a single day and I was like, I feel inspired. I feel I'm going to try to, Ryan Adams, write an entire album in a day. Not Brian, guys, Ryan Adams. And I tried to write an entire album. It, it, it wasn't great, believe it or not. Viktor Frankl said this. He said, when we lose our personal discipline, our choice, we give control away of our life to other people, other circumstances, and the inevitable randomness of life. We drift and become the plaything of our circumstances. We become the toy of experience that happens around us. Instead of being a person that's driving through life with a purpose and plan and vision to see the kingdom of God come, we're, we're swayed back and forth by the external circumstances in my life, and I will tell you if I'm going to do okay with God tomorrow, depending upon how everyone else is doing. And it's like you become a slave to the response of your boss. You become a slave to whether or not that paycheck is the size you thought it was going to be. You become a slave to your external circumstances because instead of living in discipline before the Lord, we live like people that are primarily driven by the muse. Do I feel like worshiping today? Do I feel like lifting my hands? Do I feel like going to church? Do I feel like loving God? Do I feel like forgiving my enemy? Do I feel like? And God was saying to me, David, you've been living a feel-like Christianity. That you turn it to 10 or 15 when you feel like it, and you turn it off when you don't feel like it. And worse than that, when you feel like doing horrific, something gross and abominable, you just do because you just feel like it. One of, the, one of the major issues with men in the church, uh, currently in our 21st century iteration, is that men are effeminate. And that means they're led by their emotions. So instead of coming to church and bringing their family and leading, they do things when they feel like it, and then, then when they don't feel like it, they, they don't. You cannot build a church on feeling like it. Can I, can I ask you a question? Do you think Jesus felt like going to the cross? Anybody? <laughs> Do we think he felt? He so didn't feel like it. He was under so much pressure and anxiety and pain that he was sweating great drops of blood because he did not feel like it. But he submitted his life to the will of God and the greatest heroic act in the history of mankind took place because when he didn't feel like it, when he was committed, when he was living this life of discipline, ordered, structured, uh, consistently 
functioning under the directive of God and not the emotion of man. My, my main problem with the church in this last, you know, this last 18-month cycle of church insanity was that people were functioning out of emotion and not out of reason. And emotion is appropriate and important, and we love it. It makes life beautiful. It's the frosting on the cake. We enjoy it. It's a gift of God. But if you only eat frosting, you're going to die of diabetes. <laughs> you can't function that way. The, metabolic, the, the metabolic system of our body can't go up and down, crashing and rising and crashing and rising on emotion. You can't do it. And we can't build a church where we're just primarily motivated. Like People are like, man, I can't wait till the next worship night when I have an emotional lift. Because then I'll read my Bible for a couple of days. Listen, friend, I, I don't want to be mean. If you read your Bible for a couple of days, you'll have an emotional lift. If you do the things, if you, if you wor work the acts of discipline, you will have the peaceable fruit of righteousness in your life. And that moment of peace that we experience after an emotional lift from a worship service will be with you by walking in the disciplines that God has given us. To walk in. Is that good? All right. First Corinthians nine twenty seven. I'm going to jump into the scripture a little bit because it's really cool. It says, "But I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I should be disqualified." There is um, there's a bunch of translations of this. If you grew up in a King Jamesy kind of church, you heard, I buffet my body. How many people are familiar with that verse? I buffet my body. This is a Greek word. It's only used one other place in the scripture, and it means to punch someone under the eye. <laughs> what a great, what a great Bible word. Just, just to punch somebody in the face over and over again. I punch my face over and over again in order to subject my beast Base, carnal desires that always want to consume and have immediate pleasure at all times. I, I had the great pleasure of, of, with a bunch of our church people, going to see our, our friend Raheem Box this Friday night. He did a great job, Raheem. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> And I was a little bit of a pretend boxer in college, and I, was in, I was in a boxing gym and all that kind of stuff. And I was watching the fight, and a couple before Raheem, the guys were, were haymaker boxers. Do you know what that is? It's just like when you try to murder the other person with every punch. You're planning for their death with each punch. And you go in with a punch, and you're just like, all I want to do is knock the person to, to, to six feet under with every punch. That person doesn't last long. Do you know that? Like within, actually, during that specific match that I talked about, the guy gave up in the second, right after the second round. He literally had no more energy in his body to move forward. He couldn't do it anymore. He could barely, he was so gassed. He was so out of, out of life that he just had to give up. I, I find that immature Christians and young Christians live this haymaker life against the devil and then they get gassed and they throw down the gloves and then they get eaten by the lions. They're living this life like, I'm going to watch every 
preaching message there is and pray all night. And then the next day they're exhausted, they're frustrated, they don't have the answer, and then they get consumed by their own emotions and crash and burn and die. We have churches, this is something like, you look at, you, when you look at the world, you should say, what does this mean? And so I love cool looking stuff. We have a very cool looking church, but sometimes I go into churches and there's too much cool looking stuff. There's too many lasers and there's too many cool outfits. There's too many, there's too many. Some of it's okay. I, it's, truly, some of it's totally fine. So, some of it's totally fine. When there's too much of it, I'm like, there's a problem here. There's a problem with sensuality. There's a problem with a love for all things sensory. There's, there, there is an issue. I can tell. I can walk into a place and I can tell there will be issues here in controlling the sensory impulses. Because when I idolize sensory experience, it generally means I have issues with sensory impulse. If that's my God, if that's, my, if that's the most important thing, then conversely, my issue is generally of the sensory impulse. And this word here is, is, is this compound derivative, which means to consistently over and over punch someone in the eye. The, the really disciplined boxers can go 10 and 12 rounds with incredible strength and incredible stamina and incredible endurance. The real, like the, 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 the rookies, the slobs, can make it a round or two, and they're done for. I was, years ago, Bethany and I were at a camp in our youth pastoring years, my youth pastoring years, and there was this Canadian um, pastor, and he was a workout guy. But he wasn't like a workout guy that he made his staff eat like 100 grams of chicken a day. He wasn't that kind of workout guy. He was just a workout guy that said, I have to, I have to work out every day because I have a really strong sensory impulse. I have a really strong desire to feed my flesh garbage, whether it's junk food or junk TV or junk images or trash stuff I shouldn't look at. I have, a, I have this hunger in my heart that it's hungry for junk of the world. Everybody's got a hungry heart. Everybody's got a... It's true. Everybody has a hungry heart for garbage. It's true, right? Every, and that's really what the song is about. The boss is singing about being hungry for sexual impropriety is what he's singing about. And this pastor said, when I push against the weights, David, I push against the weights to push against the screaming, the, the, the shrieks of my flesh that say, please stop doing this. He's like, I'm not doing it to have bigger muscles and wear a tank top. He was like 60, 62 years old theologian guy. He wasn't wearing, you know, crop tops. <laughs> thankfully, thankfully. He was saying, when I push against the weights, I'm pushing against the weights to subject my body to submission to my spirit. I'm forcing it to do things it doesn't want to do. I'm punching it in the face over and over and over and over again. That's what the scripture is saying. Matthew 13, 18 says this. So Matthew 13, before we did the sower and the seed, I don't need to reread re it. Um, but Jesus said, listen to what it means. 
When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away the seed. Verse 20. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. In 22, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the words of life take it. And 23, good soil, yada, yada, yada. You get it. This is sad for me, um, and it happens regularly as a pastor. <laughs> Part of the parable is this. When you're sowing seed, when you're sharing God's word with people, when, you're, when, 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 the, when, the, when the testimony of the life of Christ inside of you is going out into the world, there will be responses to that life. And some of the responses will be zilch, nothing. No one cares, go away, we don't, it doesn't matter. Why is that? Because 2 Corinthians, Corinthians 4, 4 says that the God of this world has blinded the, mind, the eyes of the unbelievers so they cannot see what is the kingdom of heaven. They can't see. The enemy, the devil, snatches it away. The word of God lands on a heart. The devil's like, nope, you're not, nope, it's not even coming in. There's no, it's gone, immediately gone. Eyes of, the, the God of this world has blinded them. And then the second part is, this, is, a sad, is a sad group for me. And it's this group that has no character. It's the, it's the, it's the undisciplined group. It says this. Um, it says the seed that falls on the shallow ground or the rocky ground is someone who hears it at once and receives it with joy, but because they have no root, when trouble or persecution comes, they fall away quickly. I don't like it. I don't like this one. I don't like it because it hurts my heart. And some of the, some of the most ministry pain that I felt is when I'm walking with somebody that receives the word of God and they get saved and they get baptized and they're super pumped and they're like, this, is, this Jesus thing is the greatest thing of all time of the, in the whole world. And then the moment trouble or persecution comes, they're immediately gone, and I mean gone, forever gone. And there's a correlation between having discipline and having substance of soul to be able to take you through trouble, for trouble will come. And when you look in word, the Greek, that word actually means, that word, the Greek word is scandalon. The word is when a scandal takes place that you're not immediately taken out. That you're like, sorry, this whole God thing is a total joke. I remember um, we had a young guy. He was like, uh, got radically saved out of drug party life. Such a soft heart for the Lord. He was only, he was obviously with this scripture. He's only around for a short time. And he asked, I, I think he asked me for something that I said yes to as a youth pastor and then changed my mind like a week later and said no. And it was something significant like, I don't, whatever it was. He got so offended, I never saw him again. I remember when he got baptized. The day he got baptized, he said to me, David, it feels like, he was 17, he said, it feels like I'm a little boy, and it's the first day of school, and I have a brand new backpack, and everything is brand new. I just thought, what an incredible picture of baptism, of new life, that God literally resets your life and makes all things new. But because the kid had zero discipline, when one moment of trouble came in his life, he was gone. It was over. And of course, I tried to apologize and do all this kind of stuff, and I, he ended up in some whack, wacky job. 
the good soil obviously is he who um, hears and understands. I'm not going to spend too much time on this. Like I want to move to the next point here. Um, there's, this, there's these guys that follow Jesus, and they're called the 12 disciplined ones. Have you heard of them? You heard about these guys that follow Jesus around 12 of them, the 12 disciplined ones? Have you ever thought of that word disciple, the same root being the same root as discipline? The same root is to be an individual who is willing to be taught. And if you look at the parable of the sower and the seed, you look at people that hear and receive the word and people that do not receive the word. People that are willing to be taught and people that are not willing to be taught. People that are willing to receive the word of God, apply it to their lives and grow. And people that, that reject the word of God or when trouble comes, then it's just, you know, everything breaks down. Hebrews 12 says this. It says, our fathers disciplined us for a short time as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good so that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields a harvest of righteousness and peace to those who have been trained by it. He said at the beginning of the message that so often in emotive experience, we as believers are looking for peace, but the scripture doesn't tell us that's how we get peace. The scripture says peace is the fruit of a disciplined life in God. And it's, the, it's Christians that walk in peace that are the most fruitful in the kingdom of heaven. Because they're not easily swayed. They're not easily taken by the troubles of the world or persecution or anxiety or pain or the things that take us out. When, we're, when we walk in a life where we subject ourselves to discipline, to teaching, and that we walk consistently. That's the funny thing. Even when I had this dream, I was like, well, there's kind of two meanings to the word discipline. There are our disciplines, right, that I'm developing my personal disciplines, and there is to be disciplined, which is to be corrected, to have somebody look over your life and say, this is not great, you need to fix this, this is really bad, let's deal with this kind of thing. And then there's the process of taking that teaching and walking out that teaching. We, we, we as believers are looking for stability and peace with God, but it doesn't come from experience with God. It doesn't come from supernatural encounters. And let me tell you, supernatural encounters are really important for direction, for healing, for all of these kind of things. But the scripture tells us that peace comes from discipline by walking as a disciple, a disciplined one. For me, um, one, of, one of the, I was praying, so I started praying this prayer all the time. I started praying, Lord, give me discipline. Lord, give me discipline. Lord, teach me discipline. Lord, give me discipline. And I was a guy like, <laughs> disciplines were not my friend. Just the disciplines, the walking stuff out was not my friend. Like if you said to me, I want you to fast tomorrow for 20 days, and only drink water, that was extreme, so I could do that. I'd be like, absolutely. But if they're like, I want you to eat one cracker for 300 days, I, would, I could never do it. I would die before I did that. I could do something immediate and extreme way easier than I could walk in consistent disciplines. And so I was praying this prayer all the time, Lord, would you, would you, discipline, would you take me, teach me? I don't know how to do it. I, 
dysfunctional and disciplined. I'm way emotional. I, 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 when the muse comes, I'm all in. When the muse is not there, I want to burn the church down. I'm in the back with lighter fluid, pouring it on the foundation of the church. Teach me how to be disciplined, how to not be a slave to my emotions. And after praying this for a couple of years, the Lord sent me to law school. <laughs> what, a, what, a, what, a, what a horrible thing to do to a non-disciplined person. My first season of law school, I remember the, law, the Lord saying, like, if you walk in disciplines, if you walk in discipline, I will bless you. And um, I crushed, my, I'll just talk about my first semester, for instance. I would wake up in the morning, and I would pray in the spirit for one hour a day. This is no joke. And then I would go to, and then I would, that was from 4.30 to 5.30, and then I would get up, and I would get ready, and then by 7.30, I'd be in um, the library and I'd study until 8.30 or 9 and I'd be in my classes. I'd come home at 7 o'clock. Bethany can attest to this. We, I'd spend two, or 5 o'clock, I'd spend two hours at home eating with her and hanging out with the kids and then from 7 to 10 I would study for those three hours as well and then I would come home at 10, 10.30 for three months straight. It was brutal and at the end of those th three months I um, got my grades in and I saw that they were almost all A's and I was crying and I was like, what an incredible, what an incredible thing this was. The second semester though, I just ran out of gas. I, I was like, I was in the fight and I was throwing haymakers for three months and I'm like I, like, I proved that I could do this and I don't even want to do this anymore. And I, my grades stayed fine, all my grades were fine, but I just didn't, I didn't have, the, all the disciplines fell apart. The daily consistent every day doing the same thing, eating a can of tuna and one ounce of whatever, the immediate prayer in the morning exactly the same way, it all kind of fell apart. And it was super frustrating because I felt like I was some kind of like Superman, like in my own strength. And obviously it was God's grace too, and, but I felt like I was really getting a hold of this discipline thing. Like I had it locked down. I got it. I figured it out, God. And um, when I... So, so then from that point, you know, I've been out of, that was 10 years ago. Um, now, about a year or two ago, I've been wrestling with the Lord for this issue, and one year ago, I felt like the Lord said, I've called you to be disciplined, but I've not called you not to be you. And I was like, oh, that sounds cool. What is this? What is this? Uh, it is this idea. I turned 40 last February and my pastor sent me a letter. Can I read it to you? Too bad, I'm going to. <laughs> it says this, it says, today marks a day in your journey far into manhood. You will look back someday and recognize this as a significant place of transition. When a man walking after God's heart and purposes does so for decades, he reaches a milestone in his journey. And I'd like to speak to what I see in you in your journey. As you most likely know, there are different stages of manhood represented in the Hebrew words used for man in the Old Testament. There are five significant stages. The stages that take place from budding manhood until fulfilled old man, looking back with deep satisfaction and peace, knowing that he left a godly legacy. He said, I believe you have reached the fourth stage as you embark upon the next season of your life, you are entering into your 40s, and this is the Hebrew word ish, the reborn ruler, a ruler of rank, 
a man of God, in all, always in contrast to youthfulness, it speaks of a man in his maturity. These are the attributes, braveness, kindness, understanding, peacefulness, trustworthiness, uh, priest, the priesthood, and standing before God on, on the behalf of other men. It says, he says he knows what is his strength and weaknesses, and he has stopped being a man that others want him to be. The man is free to be himself and free to fail and free to get up and give himself all over again. He said, this is you, David. I see you who, who gives freely himself to the king, no matter the cost. And I see in you someone who freely gives himself to your family and to the purposes which God has called you to. By this stage of manhood, you are secure enough to be alone, but recognize your need to other. Welcome to the mature man who fought battles, experienced brokenness, and got up again. By the way, this is the stage I still find myself in. I am proud of you and your family and your work ethic and your authenticity and proud to call you my friend. May the next season bring you the greatest joys and the deepest fulfillment. I love you deeply. That's a good pastor, huh? He said, this man knows who he is and what his strengths and weaknesses are and he has stopped being a man that others want him to be. Discipline doesn't mean being disciplined like someone else. Discipline doesn't mean doing the same thing every day over and over and over and over again. It means doing the same kinds of things. There, my wife wakes up every day in the morning uh, for our entire marriage, 16 going on 17 years, and reads the Bible for about an hour literally every day of her life. How many of you guys do that every day? Haven't missed a day in 17 years. Yes. Anyone else? Failures. <laughs> I don't do that. I don't do it. I read the Bible every couple of days. I read lots of the Bible. Sometimes I read m many chapters at a time. Sometimes I read many books at a time. Sometimes I study for hours and hours one section of scripture. I do not wake up in the morning and with my coffee and read one hour of the Proverbs a day. I don't do it. And I'm tired of being or of living under the abuse of some other voice that says you have to be disciplined this way. That's not what the scripture is talking about. It's talking about being disciplined in the ways of God. That daily we're in the presence of God. That daily we're in prayer with God. That daily we're meditating on his goodness. That we walk in the disciplines of sharing his words with others. That we walk in the disciplines of developing ourselves in Christ Jesus our Lord. We walk in the disciplines of being taught and trained. We walk in the disciplines of being criticized by people that love us so we can grow and move. And we're not the same place that we find ourselves ten years ago. And when we walk in the disciplines that God has for us, then after preaching, we are not disqualified because we have learned to, to rein in the undisciplined part of our spirit that wants to only consume. I want to share you this last thought and... Um, and worship team, you can come up as I'm sharing this. It says this um, in, in, in the book of Luke. It's the only other place this word 
for discipline or buffeting the body. The only other place that it's used in the New Testament. Listen to this. It says, Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray at all times and not lose heart. In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected him. And there was a widow in that town who kept appealing to God to give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but later he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice. Then she will stop wearing me out with her perpetual requests. Then she will stop pounding my face. It's the same word. She will stop punching me in the face over and over again. And what is God saying in this? He's saying that disciplined prayer life gets answers from God. A good father wants to give good gifts to his children. And discipline is not only a gift for us to keep our, our flesh and our carnal man in check, but it's a gift to us to remind us to consistently pursue the throne of grace for the petitions that he's laid on our heart. I think discipline is a, a key that we need in the church because there's a lot of us that are gung-ho for Jesus, but I don't want to just be gung-ho for Jesus. I want to make it the long distance. I want to go all 12 rounds and not gas out in round two or three. God, would you grant us at King's Church the key of discipline, that we would be people that would be taught by your word, that we would be people that would be consistent in our pursuit of you, that we would people be people that wouldn't be a slave to our emotion or to the outer experiences around us, but we would be driven and guided by your word and your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We really believe that God wants you to know him in a personal and tangible way. If there's any way we can assist your journey, please reach out to kcnyc.org. In the darkness.